of God's word to us today comes from the familiar familiar prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Uh, This past Advent season, we've been looking at Isaiah's prophecies, and uh, we will continue and wrap up with that this morning. So before we do that, let us turn to God in prayer. O Christ, the prophets foretold your coming. The poor longed to see you. The heavens celebrated your birth. The apostles, the martyrs, and the faithful down through the ages repeated the song of the angels. Your church praises you in every human language, for she has seen your salvation. O Son of God, you humbled yourself and became a servant, raising us up to share in your glory. We were in darkness, and you have given us light and strength, peace and joy. Lead us according to your loving will. Make us a people who follow you in holiness. Give us generous hearts to hear your word now. Produce in us abundant fruit through the power of your spirit. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to follow along on the screen or if you have your Bible in front of you. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People of Midland Reformed Church, what are you passionate about? Is there something or someone Uh, Maybe a place or a a cause, an activity uh, that uh, that you're 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 crazy over, something or someone that something that you you give your time to, but there there never seems to be enough to devote yourself to it. What are you passionate about? Are you wanting to move these? Yeah, that's great. That's good. 
please pause. Okay, great. Where do we leave off? What are you passionate about? What is your passion? What, what, what drives you when you're passionate? You, you do remarkable things. One of my favorite movies, one of my favorite movies of all time uh, is October Sky. Has anybody seen October Sky? 1999, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, maybe? Okay. Well, it's a movie that is based in the 1950s. It takes place in the small uh, coal mining town in West Virginia. And it's centered on this 17-year-old high school boy, Homer Hickam. Homer Hickam has his passion ignited. Something is sparked in him. Because in the late 50s, the Russians send up uh, the first man-made satellite to orbit the Earth, Sputnik. Well, this does something in young Homer. It causes him uh, to realize that he has this passion, his very own desire to put his own rocket uh, up into the sky. And so then the movie becomes uh, Homer's tireless quest, uh, this hunger and this drive uh, to realize uh, this passion and this goal that he has. But there are barriers that come between a young Homer and his passion. So this is the 1950s, and rocket science is not well established. And what is established, it's not well disseminated into a small coal mining town in West Virginia. So there's not a lot of resources for young Homer. It's not like he can jump on the internet and do a Google search. The people in his town, they are not concerned with rocket science. They are concerned with with coal mining and with football. So there's not a whole lot of people that are encouraging to young Homer in his passion. Homer does not really care for math. And I'm sure you can't get too far in rocket science without math. On top of that, Homer's career path is pretty much already established. He's the son of a coal miner living in a coal mining community. And so getting out into the bigger city to pursue a degree in rocket science, this most likely is not going to happen. And then on top of that even, his dad, his father thinks it's, it's foolishness. He calls it nonsense that he is, he is pursuing this, this dream, this passion of his. But when you have a passion when you care deeply for something, when you are driven, you know that there is not a whole lot that can stop you. You know that you do some remarkable things when you have a passion for something. So too with young Homer. So he risks, he puts in jeopardy his whole uh, social reputation at school. He's in high school, so this is a big deal. He sits, he sits at the, uh, the empty table, save one, for the, 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 the geeky guy or the nerdy guy that sits by himself. Homer goes over to him because he knows that this man knows something, this young man knows something about rocket science. Well, Homer, he, he gives himself to math. He actually applies himself. He learns how to weld. For right or for wrong, he uses the coal mining company's resources. He uses his family's resources to help build his rocket. He contacts um, some established rocket scientists, writes them letters. 
Homer, in his attempt, his first attempt to send a rocket up, he actually blows up his family's white picket fence. He spends hours, countless hours, researching, experimenting, designing, trying to live into his passion, seeing that this passion of his to to get a rocket into the sky is fulfilled. Passion is something that drives you, something that motivates you, something that carries you through even the roughest of circumstances. So what are you passionate about? Well, did you know? Did you know that we have a passionate God? Did you know that we have a passionate God? The very last verse of our passage today, verse 9, or verse 7 of chapter 9, says, The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Well, a synonym for passion is zeal. Zeal, something uh, that motivates, something you do with great enthusiasm as you, as you, uh, as you pursue something. Zeal, the zeal of the Lord. Well, if you look at uh, the original language in the Old Testament in this verse, this word zeal is the same word that's used for jealousy. In the Old Testament, many times we read that God is a jealous God. Actually, in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, we read that the Lord's name is jealous. And so we hear this, and, it's, and it can become confusing. Because when we think of jealousy, we think of jealousy as that negative virtue. That human, human jealousy that can become destructive. This jealousy that is often um, self-centered. It's often petty. It's based on envy It's very self-interested. My world, when when I think of jealousy, so I think of a Cinderella. I have four four girls. I think of Cinderella. Cinderella's stepsisters. Does anybody know their their names? Drizella and Anna. Drizella and Anastasia. Drizella and Anastasia. They are jealous. They are jealous of Cinderella's beauty. You have something I want. I want something. I don't have it. You have it, so I resent you. And so what they do is they tear at Cinderella's beautiful dress while she just stands there horrified. Maybe this is the image that you get as you think of jealousy, when you hear that God is a jealous God, that the Lord's name is jealous. But there is a positive There is a positive jealousy. There is a a positive virtue of jealousy. This is a virtue that seeks to protect a love relationship. So you see it in the anger of a spouse when something or someone is infringing on the marital relationship. When there is something or someone that is threatening this marital bond. This positive virtue of jealousy is not so much self-interested, but it's concerned more for this love relationship. It's concerned more for this person in the love relationship. There is something precious that you are trying to protect. So for me, I have four young daughters. If one of them grows up to date a guy that mistreats them, 
If she is spending her time with somebody that does not treat her well, you better bet that my jealousy is going to be roused. And it's going to be because I have a concern for my daughter. It's because I love my daughter. And I have this concern for our relationship, this love relationship that I have with her. God is a jealous God. God is a passionate God. So what is he passionate over? What is this relationship that God has jealousy for? Well, God is passionate about his people. God has zeal for his people, for you, for me. Well, in the beginning, God creates. God creates us. God is not forced to create. There's nothing acting on God from the outside, out of his own love, out of his own desire. God creates us. He creates humanity, and he puts them in the garden. And what does he do? Does God go off somewhere else? Does God put them in the garden and then he goes way off into some other distant land? No, God locates himself in the garden with his people. There's an intimate relationship that is established. He walks around with with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He is in close proximity to his people. And we see this in the language of Scripture, that God makes a covenant. God enters into relationship with his creation. And these words that, that you see recited throughout Scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people. We will be devoted to each other. God's passion is for his people. God is seeking to protect and maintain this relationship that he has created. But just like with Homer Hickam, and his experience uh, when he's trying to put this rocket up into the sky, we know that barriers come up. Well, there are barriers that come up in this covenant relationship between humanity and God. For the people of Israel in the passage that we're looking at, it's idolatry. These barriers that are put up are, are idols that are put up before God for the people. So the people, these Israelites, they turn. They turn to the gods of the nations. They turn uh, to the spirits of those who have died. They turn to divination. They, they turn really everywhere. They exhaust themselves, turning to everywhere, everything except for God. This is the darkness that we're reading about in our passage. People walking in darkness. People that are in gloom. Because they've turned themselves away from God. They've turned themselves away from this relationship. And turning themselves away from God actually brings this distress and this hardship upon them. Because now the enemies are at the border and they are looking to take over Israel. There are barriers that humans have put up in this covenant relationship with God. In Israel, back in Isaiah's passage, but also for us today. We do the same thing in our covenant relationship with God. We turn. We turn everywhere, seeking our hearts, longing, seeking our hearts, desire. We typically turn everywhere but to God. We give ourselves over to other lovers. We give our affections to other things. We seek out wisdom from other places, places other than God. When, we're, when we are in need of comfort, what do we do? We seek out, we seek out comfort in vices. 
We're trying to find uh, who we are, our identity. We journey inward. We're doing is seeking things other than God. We are putting up barriers in this relationship, this covenant relationship that God has made with us. But we know that God is passionate, and passionate people do remarkable things. So what is God in his passion? When God is passionate, what does he do? Well, God does something absolutely astounding. He gives his son. God gives us his son. For to us, to us a son is given. To us a child is given. For to us a son is born. Or as John says it in his gospel, that God so loved the world. The intensity of God's love for the world was so great that he gave his one and only son. Oh, God's passion, God's zeal, God's jealousy for this relationship is so great, so intense, that he goes to great lengths in order to protect it, in order to maintain it, in order to preserve it. God does what needs to be done in order to remove these barriers. And what God does is he sends Jesus Christ God himself comes to us as one of us, fully human, fully divine. We who are groping around in the darkness, we who are failing miserably, trying to find our heart's desire. Well, Jesus Christ comes into the world as the light. Even our sin and rebellion could not keep God away from us. It could not turn God away from this relationship. No, God is in an intense desire and passion to be with his people. He sends Jesus Christ as the light of the world to bring us back into relationship with him. And as a result, when God is passionate about something, this is what results. We see in our passage abundant joy, overwhelming joy. We see abundant provision. We see the end of conflict. We see the end of war, the end of oppression. We see freedom and liberation from sin. We see uh, sin as a system. Systemic sin is destroyed. All because God chooses to send his own son to dwell with us. For to us a son is given and this son will rule. And he will lead us. He will lead us in wisdom and might and in peace and righteousness and in justice. When God gives us his son, he gives us these gifts in his passion for us, in his passion for this relationship. This is what God does. And it's not because of what we do. It is the zeal of the Lord that accomplishes this. It is God's work that does this. So this Christmas, see in Christ, the newborn king, God's love. See in Christ, the newborn king, God's gracious response to our sin and to our failing. See in Christ, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, the gift of hope, the gift of salvation. See in Christ God's passionate desire for you, his people. Amen.
Let's pray. Now, God, you never cease to amaze us. Lord, as we spend time looking at your word, we unearth just who you are, and it is so remarkable. You are not a God who is detached. You are not a God who is blasé about this relationship. You are a God who is intensely passionate, a God who will do whatever is necessary to bring us back to you, and we thank you for that. Lord, give us the grace to respond in gratitude. Lord, receive now this song of worship as gratitude for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.